Amen. Well, some of you might be surprised not to see Pastor Bernie Blaukamp up here tonight. Um, he was planning on being here too. Uh, until this morning, I got a call this afternoon, um, he had to you know, jump into his phone booth and step out as a superhero and run off someplace else to help somebody who was uh, in, a, in a situation and they needed his help. He said, man, it's just totally my wheelhouse. This is what I need to be doing. I said, that's great. Um, he said, can you speak tonight? I said, no problem. And someone asked me, did they give you last minute notice? I said, no, they gave me several hours notice. And uh, I said, I've been in a, in a service before when someone walked up and told me during praise and worship, hey, we were hoping you would speak tonight. So this is lots of notice today. Um, and, and Pastor Bernie, he told me, he said, what we've we're been focusing on is, is, is uh, on Wednesday nights, we want something that's applicable, something we can take and we can see clearly how we're going to apply it to our life. So I'm going to speak on the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. Just kidding. Um, actually, I'm not. I'm going to, I'm going to speak on um, something else uh, I'm gonna t the title of my message is What Makes Us Different. And, um, and I'm going to give, not just talk about what makes us different, but we're going to go in the scripture and we're going to look at different things that we can literally apply to our lives that will change us, that will make us different. And uh, to start off today, I want to tell a story about uh, a fellow that I met when I was living in Saltillo, Mexico. His name was Juan Carlos. And when I met Juan Carlos, he was about 21 years old. A uh, real sharp guy, uh, you know, he seemed like he had pretty much everything together. Um, he was uh, born and raised there in a Catholic family in um, Saltillo, Mexico. He had learned English very well and um, had gotten a job at one of the most prestigious language schools in that town, and he was a language teacher, and he would teach you know, Spanish to people who needed to learn Spanish and English to people who needed to learn English. And um, that was how we met. Um, we were looking for an English teacher for some, or excuse me, a Spanish teacher for some people who had come down, who were down there for a few months kind of doing like a mission internship or things. And, and so we contacted the school and they sent Juan Carlos over. Like I said, he was this, you know, seemingly fun, had it together guy. So he, he comes and he starts uh, giving classes uh, to some of the people that we were working with. And I got to meet him and, and we invited him to church and we, we started hanging out. And this was about, I don't know, September or October of 2002. And um, he, he hung out with the people. He, you know, he was teaching classes. He was coming to our church services. He was going with us when we'd go out to get tacos and, and do different things. And he was just kind of hanging with us and we were... You know, just befriending him in a way. What we didn't know was that almost that entire year, he had made plans to kill himself on New Year's Eve. And he had, he had done, he'd put all of the things in motion, and the entire year he had been looking forward to fulfilling his plan. And it surprises me and it, it almost puts tears in my eyes just to talk about it now to realize how hurt he was and how oblivious we were. We had no idea. He was planning to end his life. And before December 31st, he made the decision to give his life to Christ. And then he told us 
oh, by the way, you don't know this, but you just saved my life. And then he said something to me later that, that I'll never forget because after, after becoming a Christian and after deciding not to die that Christmas or that New Year's Eve and he going forward, he, he came and participated in a year-long program that I had been putting together that was for discipleship and, and character building and he just got really on fire for God. And he said something to me that I'll never forget and I count it as one of the greatest compliments I've ever received. He said, you know something, Josh? He says, if I would have met people like you before, I would have gotten saved a long time ago. Now, it shocked me because I had never done anything purposely different around him. I couldn't be certain what exactly he was referring to. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, is there anything different about us? Is there anything about the way that we act and we live our lives that is different? This is what John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35 says, and this is our, the, the launch verse for today. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God did not say that we would know that we were disciples because we'd always be going to church. He didn't say that, he, we would, that, that the world would know we were his disciples because, you know, we were all so prosperous or so poor. He said it would because, be because of our love. And I want to show a quick little video. I saw a video um, online a while back and it reminded me of how it's hard to know. It kind of reminded me of this story of Juan Carlos. We don't know what's going on. And it can be hard to consider it. But let's take a look at this video. The point I want to see in that video is we don't know what's going on. And if we did, boy, that would be easier, wouldn't it? I mean, if you, if you had some pair of magic glasses, if you could see what was going on in everybody's life, you'd be motivated. But we don't. There is no magic pair of glasses. But if we look at scripture, there is something else. There is something else that can make a difference. Let's go to 1 John 4, 19 through 20. And this is what it says. It says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love God his brother. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And if I was to, to, to tweet something tonight, this is what I would tweet. The more aware we are of being loved, the more loving we become. See, the way that we as humans are wired, we respond to how we've been treated. We respond to how we've been treated. What makes us love God the way he loved us? God didn't say, love me, just do it. No. First, he loved us. And then he knew if they will become aware 
of how I love them, they will respond. How many of you remember the, the, the parable? I'm half speaking in Spanish. Most of my preaching's been in Spanish lately. How many of you remember the parable of the unforgiving servant? So that parable, uh, I have the reference up here, but I think I'll just tell the story. It's in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. And what happens is there is this man who owes the equivalent of millions of dollars. He owes more money than he could possibly ever pay back. And in that time, in, in, in that culture, if you owed money, you couldn't pay, they would put you in prison. And they would sometimes even torture people for not paying. Makes bankruptcy seem pretty mild, doesn't it? So this man goes before the ruler to whom he owes all this money. And he says, look, you owe me so much. And he's just like, I can't, I can't do anything. I can't pay it back. There's no way I can pay it back. And he's fully expecting to be sold into, or, or uh, put into prison or even sold as a slave. And the ruler says, that's all right. I forgive you entirely. And he lets him go. And the story continues that this guy walks out and right after being forgiven of a debt he could never pay, of an, a sum that would be the equivalent of, of millions today, he finds somebody who owes him like a week's wage. Millions versus a week's earnings. And the, the story says that he grabs that man and shakes him and says, you need to pay me what you owe me. And the man's like, but I can't, but I can't. He drags that guy off and he has him put into prison. And he's supposed to work off the debt in prison. Now what intrigues me is the reaction of the other people. Because the Bible says that the other servants who saw this were greatly distressed. Now here's my question. Were they greatly distressed by the regular practice of their time? I don't think so. I don't think that they were greatly distressed that another person was put in jail for not paying back. What they were greatly distressed by was this man did not react to how he was treated. This man was forgiven and he isn't forgiving. Even the world understood if you have been forgiven, then you should forgive. They understood that and then they, they went to the, the, the ruler and said, hey, we have to tell you what we just saw. That guy that you just forgave of, of millions. He went out and, and this is what he did. He, he isn't allowing the way he was treated to change the way he acts and the way he treats others. There is something wrong with that guy. There's something wrong if we don't react to the way that God has treated us, if we don't react to the way that he forgave us, if we don't react to the way that he loves us, then there is something wrong. Either we don't understand what happened to us, or we are being downright wicked. 
That's what they call, the, 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 they call it, this wicked servant. This is what the, the Lord says. He says, then the master called in the servant and he said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It's so profound, but it's so simple. The more we recognize what God has done for us, the greater our natural reaction to treat people the same becomes. The more loved that we are, the more loving we become. And here's the thing. There is nobody here who isn't loved. There are just some of us who are less aware of it than others. No one here is unloved. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, or do you despise the richness, riches of his goodness, speaking of God, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You know what God says? God says the reason people repent isn't because they're afraid of hell. People repent because they recognize how good I am, how good I've been to them. When we give our life to God, when we repent, we say, oh, I need to change the way that I'm acting. It, it, it isn't because we think, okay, if I could just earn a little bit better standing with God, no. God says it's not by works so that no one can boast. He removed that. You don't have to act good to get God's attention, to be on his good side. That's not how it works. He says it's not by works. But repentance is something he seeks from us. And God says that repentance comes, our desire to change the way we act comes when we see and understand and recognize his goodness. When we realize, wow, God has done this for me, that's when we will do better. The, the, the classic picture of somebody coming home upset, what do they do? Just if, if, we, were, if we were gonna draw a cartoon and we wanted to just picture someone coming in upset, what do they do? They come storming in the door, they slam the door. Did the door do anything to them? No, but they're mistreating the door. The dog comes up, <laughs> get out of my way. Did the dog do anything bad to them? No. Hurting people hurt people. Have you ever heard that before? Loved people love people. People who see the goodness of God don't want to keep sinning. What, what gives us power? We don't have magic glasses that we can put on that will change our, our view of the world, or do we? 
Because we do have God's love and his goodness. Those are things that when we apply them to our life, they change how we act. It reminds me of another story I heard. I don't know if this was true, but it cracked me up. So the story is about this lady in an, in an airport. How many of you guys have ever traveled in an airport? It's like interaction with strangers 101. There's just nobody knows anybody, and everybody's just hustling around trying to get where they're going, and you've got to sit in these little things for hours, you know, and, and people are just sitting around. So this, this lady, she goes, and she buys a bag of cookies at one of the little gift shops. And she comes back to her little spot there, you know, where you're not allowed to leave your luggage, so bringing all that stuff with you. She sits the luggage down, she sits down, and it's got a little table, you know, next to her. And then on the other side of it, there's another gentleman who's waiting for his flight. And as she's waiting, um, you know, she reaches over and, and grabs one of her cookies, and, and, uh, and she looks over and she sees this guy, and he reaches in her, her bag of cookies and grabs a cookie. She doesn't know him, she's never met him. She didn't know what to think about this. So she kind of makes it a little bit more obvious this time, you know, and pulls it over to her side of the table and takes a cookie, and the guy just kind of looks at her, smiles, <laughs> reaches over and takes a cookie. She, can't, she doesn't know what to think about this. She reaches in, takes two. She's eating her cookies. He just smiles, grabs another cookie. Gets down to the last cookie. And he pushes the bag over, offering her the last of her cookies. <laughs> she takes it, not being one for confrontation. There are some of you personalities in here, you're going, oh, I would have told him what for the first time he reached over towards that bag. Other people are like, I totally get it. I would have given him the whole bag. I wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Different personalities. She was somewhere in the middle. She just, she gets up, she, they, they call her, her flight, she goes and gets on the plane, she sits down, she's like, I, I don't know what to do, this is so weird. She reaches in her bag, and there are her bag of cookies. <laughs> she had been eating his cookies. <laughs> and didn't know it. Now, I guarantee you, she felt more generosity towards that guy that moment, right? We all would. And it just illustrates how when we're aware of how we're being treated, it changes how we feel towards others. When we know that we've been forgiven, when we know that we're loved, when we are secure in that knowledge, we desire to be loving. We desire to act different. It is, it is from that place that we can do things and we can act differently and we can stand out in our Christian walk. So if you're taking notes, here are some of the things that we're going to do in order to be different, to stand out. Number one is we're going to meditate on God's word. This is what the scripture says in Matthew 12, verse 34 and 35, it says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. 
My mom used to say it this way. She said, we're like a sponge. And what happens when you squeeze a sponge? Whatever's inside just comes out. Most people, when they get squeezed, that's when their real colors show. You know, you're just minding your own business. You're trying to hammer in a nail. Kabam! What comes out? When something happens, it shows what's inside. But if we have purposely filled ourselves with God's word, then what comes out? Look at Psalms 119 verse 11 says, how can a young man make his way pure? And that's, it applies to young and old. I think I'm officially in the middle right now. I'm like 38. So how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We wish there was a pair of glasses, a magic something we could put on that would change the way we see the world. But there is something we can put in ourselves that will change the way we see the world. When we fill ourselves with God's word, Scripture says that, that David, this is what David says. He says, I put it in me for the purpose of not sinning against you. I don't want to sin. So what did I do? I put scripture, I put your word inside me because he knew that's what it would do. <clears throat> what, does, what does putting scripture in us do? It makes our decisions more godly. It makes our words and our actions more Christ-like, more pure. When we have filled ourselves with God's word, that's what happens. How many of you guys have ever, uh, have you, have ever been around someone who hurt themselves and had a limp? Did you know limps can be contagious? Have you ever done that? You walk with someone and they're walking funny and then pretty soon you're just kind of like keeping up with them? You know, it, it, it's the most bizarre thing. We pick up things that we don't try to pick up. You go to the south and then you come back and you're talking a bit like this. And you didn't do it on purpose. You just pick up what you're around. What you, what you surround yourself, it, it gets in. And when we purposely fill ourselves with God's word, his scripture says, we are less likely to sin. If I want to stand out and be different than the world, it's not a decision I make every morning when I stand, sit up. Okay, well, today is Wednesday. Today I'm not going to uh, do anything sinful. No. Just, just like I don't wake up in the morning and say, well, today is the day that I'm going to grow my hair. No, I eat decent nutrition and my hair just grows. When I fill myself with God's word, I will naturally be more inclined to make the right choices. Number two, second thing we're going to do is we're going to be thankful. Be thankful. Psalm 69 verse 3 says, I will praise the name of God with song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. How big is God? 
<laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's so big. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent, meaning he's, he's everywhere. You can't make God bigger, but you can magnify him. So how does that make sense? It's not God who gets bigger. It's our view of him. How many of you have ever used a magnifying glass? When I, when I pull out a magnifying glass and I go to read the fine print, did the fine print change size? No. But my perspective of it did. That's what thankfulness does to God. When we are thankful, we become, we see him as bigger. 1 Thessalonians says in verse chapter 5, verse 16 and 18 says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to step back just a second. I'm going to say being thankful is something you can do on purpose. This is something you do on purpose. You decide, you know what? I am going to be thankful. You do that with God. I do that with my, with my wife. When my wife does something that upsets me, I purposely find something to be thankful for. We'll be laying there at night, and I'll say, honey, I love you. Thank you for this. You know what? She, she has literally said this before. Really? Because she knew that she had gotten under my skin. But I didn't want to go to bed dwelling on that. So I was thankful. I said, you know what? Maybe in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, she got under my skin about this or that, but that's not what I'm going to focus on because I have a choice. I have a choice. I'm going to choose to be thankful. You know, we all have something we can be thankful for. God has worked in each of our lives. Okay, I, I'm trying to decide whether I should ask for a raise of hands. How many of you has God ever done anything for you? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, this story is for you. So there was a little boy who was flying his kite and he's out there, he's just flying his kite and he's just having a great old time and the wind is blowing and it blows his kite over to the top of a tree and it gets stuck in one of the branches. And he is tugging and pulling and he runs this way and he runs that way and, and it's so far out there he, that the branches are too high, he can't climb the tree to try to get it out and, and it's so far out there he'd have probably broken the branches if he did and he's just, he doesn't know what to do and he's just totally out of ideas and so he's, <gasps> dear God, my kite is stuck in this tree. Could you please, please help me get it down? At that very moment, a gust of wind comes, blows the kite right off the branch and it floats to the ground. Never mind, God, it just came down. <laughs> That's us. You see, God is in our lives in so many different ways. And we're like that kid, God help me. Oh, never mind. It, 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 I got it. I got it. No, we don't got it. He got it. We just didn't recognize it. You, we, we, have been, we have so much to be thankful for. We are, each of us, so loved. But the question is, are we aware of it? Am I conscious of how much God has done for me? Because if I am, I'll be thankful. And if I'm thankful, 
It's going to, to make a difference in how I act. The scripture we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, be joyful always. All right. How many of you does that even, did that not sound impossible? Joyful always? And I think it's because we confuse joyful and happy. Be joyful always. The same Bible that says be joyful always says mourn with those who mourn. So joyful is not the same thing as happy. See, happy is just a feeling. But joyful, the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, joy gives us strength in whatever situation. How do we get joy? This always joy? Verse 17 tells us how to get the, the joy in verse 16. It says, pray continually. In other words, be consistently, continually aware of God in your life. And number 18, give thanks when cool stuff happens. Is that what it says? Let's go back and read it. Can we pop it up? Uh, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I hit my thumb. Oh, thank you, God, that I smashed my thumb. No, that's not what that means. It did not say, let me make a very clear distinction. It did not say, give thanks for all circumstances. It said, give thanks in all circumstances. Huge difference. I don't give thanks for tragedies. I don't give thanks for sickness. I don't give thanks. The Bible says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I don't give thanks for the things that he does. But when those things take place, I give thanks to God in those circumstances. I don't put my total focus on those circumstances. Just like I said with, with my wife, I don't sit there in bed and focus on whatever upsetting thing had taken place. I turn my focus to something I can be thankful for. And I say, God, I don't understand why this happened or that happened. But you know what I know? I know you'll see me through it. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that. And that changes the way that we act. We can remember another thing. <clears throat> Number three, remember what he's done for you. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. We give thanks to you, O God. <clears throat> we give thanks for your name is near mentel of your wonderful deeds. Thinking about the unforgiving servant. What did the unforgiving servant do wrong? He didn't think about what had been done for him. Legally, he wasn't out of line. Legally, he had a right to tell that other person who owed him money to go to jail. He had that right. He wasn't doing wrong, but he was wrong because he wasn't focusing 
on what he should have been focusing on. He should have looked at, wow, okay, I was just forgiven of all of this. What, what does a week's wage matter anymore? I just came out ahead millions of dollars today. We, we choose to focus on what God has done. Think about David and Goliath. What an amazing story. A 15-year-old kid shows up at a, at a, uh, <clears throat> a battle. He wins against the, the, the giant. Why? How did he gain that energy, that, that passion, that motivation? The Bible says that when the king asked him, he said, well, once upon a time, I, I was watching the sheep and a lion came and God helped me to kill that lion, just me and this stick. And then a bear came. It was bigger than the lion, but I figured if God helped me with the lion, he'll help me with the bear. So me and this stick, we took it out and we, we won it. And well, I figured he'll be the same with, with this big giant because he helped me with a bear and he helped me with a lion. So I'm good. He was thankful. Consider number five. Uh, what are we at? One, two, three, four. Consider your witness. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because we let our light shine. That's how we make a difference. And I'm running out of time, but the last point is that we... We sow what we reap, or we reap what we sow, and we need to be conscious of that. As, as it's commonly referred to, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That was, that was what Jesus himself said. And he said in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, he said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And in verse 9, it says, so... Do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. One of the reasons that we're tempted not to act in a Christian way, the way that we know God would desire of us, is because we have failed to accept that it will make a difference. Oh, if I keep treating these people nicely, they're just going to keep stepping on me. If, if, if I don't shout at the neighbor for those stupid things he's doing, it, he'll never quit. I've got to show him what for. It's obvious what language he speaks. I'll just speak it back to him. And God says, no, don't grow weary of doing good. And I want to encourage you guys that we never know what's happening around us. There are people who are waiting to meet someone who is different. They're waiting to meet someone who is different. I want to show you a picture of Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos is the man I told you about at the beginning. Juan Carlos was planning to die. This is Juan Carlos and his wife and his two kids this year. I pulled that picture off of Facebook. Some of you may even recognize his wife. His, his grandmother attends church here, or her grandmother. We don't know what's going on in people's lives, but God has called us to live different, and we can. The more aware we purposely become of how loved we are, the more loving we'll become.
The more aware we are of how good he is, the more desirous we will be of repenting, of changing. When we fill our lives with God's word, it will make a difference. We can't put on a pair of magic glasses, but we can apply these scriptural principles. And let me promise you something. If you do what the Bible says, it will work. As we close today, I want to take a moment. And if you are here today and you know that you are right with God, that your sins have been forgiven, and if your heart stopped beating today, you'd spend eternity with him, please raise your hand. You say, I know that. Well, the Bible says that we can know that we have salvation. You say, how can I know that? It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you believe with your mouth or in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? You'll be saved from the sin that separates you from God. His forgiveness comes and that sin that separates us from him is gone. God is holy. He can't serve. He can't have communion with sin. That's why he sent Jesus to wipe it away. But he wanted a meaningful relationship and we have to ask for it. If you would like to ask for that forgiveness, God's promise, you will receive it. If you want to ask for that forgiveness tonight, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Anybody here? Right now, we will pray and you will be forgiven. Just raise your hand. All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your presence in each of our lives. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. The many, many things that you have done in each of our lives that we can be thankful for. I just pray that you would bring those through your Holy Spirit to our remembrance. Lord, I just pray that if there is anyone here who is not aware of how much you love them, that you would show that to them. Lord, I just pray that you would increase all of our understanding of your love and your goodness so that we can walk out of here and we can act and be different than the world. In Jesus' name, amen.